0: This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hello, and it is another beautiful day in sunny California, sunny America. Well, it's not really sunny. It's kind of cold and wintering right now. I am reporting to you live from Los Angeles, and I'd like to say that we have a very, very special guest today. Today's guest is Christian Alouas, and this gentleman is a bold artist who wrote this incredible book, It's a Living. It's a Living is about how to be a freelance artist in the 21st century, and Christian gives you an incredibly valuable piece of information for a very affordable price. Go ahead and check it out on Amazon. We're going to be discussing the book on the podcast, as well as other bold works of art. This guy is an incredible individual, and I know you're going to love him the way that I adore him. He is the true definition of an artist, and he is going to go far Also, we have our next networking event, our next networking party, I should say, on November 24th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, our Friendsgiving event. We want to see you there. Be sure to email me or go onto the website, mrthrive.com slash events to RSVP to our next event. artists and entertainment professionals and by the way it's free and by the way it's fun and by the way i know you're gonna have a great time and i'll see you there so without further ado let's get this show on the road sit back relax and enjoy you have stumbled upon mr thrive stars of tomorrow where together we will discover emerging artist animator and writer christian alawash christian welcome to the podcast it's really great to have you great to be here chas i'm really stoked because you today are coming forward with a book that you've created but before we even talk about the book let's talk a little bit about your background for a second where are you from i'm mostly from canada so that's what i usually tell people because i've lived most of my life in canada but I was born in Romania. Your art kind of stems from being in Canada first though, right? Like that's really where a lot of what you do sparked from? i lived
1: 26 years in Canada. So most of my life, I have a little bit of that Eastern European aesthetic. I liked sports growing up. I had kind of an interest in culture and certain type of
0: art. Right. You say a certain type of art, but the truth is that you've actually gone to a pretty wide variety of work throughout your entire career.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot. I studied animation because I love life drawing. That's something that I always like to tell people. I don't feel like that animation was as much of a passion as it was like when I took the course. I wanted to get like that. Classical training, I studied creative writing and fine art at university after that. And I've had art shows. i made made artsy films, but I've also made live action films. And of course, I've done animation utilizing my skills. I've written screenplays and I've written a nonfiction.
0: The underlying tone to what you do is there's the motivation, the work that needs to be done, and you're not really afraid to explore new mediums when you have to. And when you do, you make sure to do them really well. You kind of describe that process in your book that you've written here. It's a living surviving as a freelancer in the 21st century, subtitled the ultimate guide to success for artists and creative professionals. It's really great book. This is the first book of how to read it's homework for my own podcast. I can tell you right now for those listening who are looking for a new book right now is educational and easy to read and very understandable. This book it's a Living by Christian Aldabash.
1: Thanks for the endorsement, Chaz. And you related to some parts out of it, but there's like a lot of sales techniques and then a lot of kind of uh, psychological and inspirational aspects of the artist's life. When I first wrote it, was hoping would transcend. And I did uh, write it in a, such a way, kind of everything, they're very poetic, I think. So I wrote it in a way that would have longevity, like Machiavelli's prints or like The Art of War, you know, or the five rings, uh, Miyamoto Musashi or something, you could read it. And even though you're not like trying to fight a battle on Tuscan uh, terrain, it could still apply to you, you know? Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's ambitious to even say that, but it's really true that like, that's what I was aiming for. I was very conscious of having some broad elements that are applicable, even hopefully hundreds of years from now.
0: Oh, absolutely. And what you're covering here are, like I said, like like modern day resources that freelancers can utilize. One thing that I always struggle with is the language to use when talking to a client. That's something that I've always struggled with. And mm-hmm. in several parts of the book, you have outlined some specific phrases that you can utilize to improve your game and prospecting, when you're prospecting for clients. Um, and that's part of my daily life. There's this podcast, but for those who are listening, The business that I run is around producing other people's podcasts on a technical level as well. Mm -hmm. So I, reading this book, realized, oh, wait, I can benefit from this, too. I'm no different than the audience that uh, this book appeals to. And it's just well done. And like what you said before, um, this book is written just a little bit differently. Typical self-help book. This goes into, kind of switches modes from a personal anecdote to a how-to guide. And it's really well written. Part of that, talking about your personal experience as an immigrant, you know, living in Canada with your dad, that whole entire experience, it sounded like he left a really important impact on you.
1: Uh, He did, yeah. My father, he was very instrumental at the beginning of my career. He was one of these people that wanted to be an artist and uh, well, was afraid most of his life. And he had other problems. I mean, he grew up in a communist country in Romania and uh, he actually escaped Romania he failed the first time because it was communist so like he tried to escape uh he got caught he spent a year in jail and then he went again the fourth trial i believe he's he told me once that got into the border and he was sleeping in a tree it was raining for like three days straight and he could see the border and guards but he was afraid that if he would run they'd shoot him so he was just hiding out waiting for like the weather to kind of calm down so he could maybe even see better and you know make his way but it never got better and he was starving so he turned back that was one of the times and then eventually he broke through and uh, petitioned to bring uh, my mother and i over to belgrade kind of went to belgrade which was a neutral country so anyway so he was like um, he had other worries you know uh (laughs) what is what i'm saying he had just like kind of uh, make a living like just distracting himself with uh, creative pursuits so he was just kind of hustling like a regular. A laborer for the most part. And because of that, a lot of children are the unfulfilled uh, dreams of their parents, I feel, from what I've seen, from what I've read, and certainly what I've lived. And I really relate to that sentiment. And I feel like his want and curiosity to be an artist really brought that out in me at an early age. And I explored that, and he kind of stayed quiet when I made my choices to go to an arts high school, and then later to, a, in a creative field in college and university as well. So he just kind of like said, sure, you know, kind of just laid back and let me explore that. I think in the back of him, his mind, he felt like probably I did, that since there were so many famous artists in history, some one or two might've succeeded, you know, that life uh, might be viable certainly as viable as just like a regular laborer's life you know or income would be so at the least i could make a living he did but at least i would make a choice in my pursuit that was kind of the way he influenced me you know kind of in a way psychologically and early on he was very supportive i mean he would steal supplies from work and bring them in he worked at a sign shop like making uh, signs for stores and things like neon signs or like wood signs, cafes and things like that. And uh, he would bring home materials. And you know, the first few years, we would make stretchers on our balcony. And then I had a studio at his house uh, later that I would rent from him uh, when I was doing better. And we would build stretchers and I would paint uh, large scale paintings. And he he was a great help. And he was a great man.
0: Yeah, wow. I didn't know that story about him stealing the supplies for you for your work. And that's, that's really touching, honestly. What was the first big piece of yours that reinforced that you could do this?
1: Well, I mean, I kind of believed that I could do it at the beginning. I, Jonathan Boring, have interrupted this program to introduce my own podcast. It's called The Social Spice Podcast. And it's a show covering the ever-growing topic of social media marketing. And just how a few simple tweaks to your digital outreach can change the entire course of your business. Let's get you cooking with fire. Again, The name of the podcast is The Social Spice Podcast, available on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, we're here to help. I already had my own reinforcement, Uh, although you're probably thinking of one piece that I did a few years in, which was physically like a large piece. But I want to say that like from the very beginning, I knew I could do it and I was kind of nuts and I actually... I was willing to dive to be an artist, you know? Like I thought like if I actually fail, that's okay, but I'm not doing anything else. And I burned every other bridge before, behind me, you know? But were you referring to like that, the large piece that I did like around 2005, like into my career? Is that
0: like the physical one? Well, I, I, I do love that piece. I would like to talk about that.
1: You know, for me, a lot of my goals tend to be my own creations. You know, I kind of create my own goals. So if I'm not motivated, I'm not going to achieve something. If I'm not motivated to achieve one thing. So in, in the case of this one painting, basically, I was a few years into my career and and I was an animator before then. I quit working in animation studios and I became, quote unquote, an artist and I was showing in cafes and and not really selling uh, much at all. And I was dead broke. And my style began to reflect that. I went into like this abstract period where I was kind of painting shapes and, and uh, just exploring things. And then I developed uh, a concept that was essentially painting my name. I was like painting my signature. And then so I decided one year after reading a couple of books, I read a biography of Einstein and a biography of Picasso. Back to back. And then I thought, you know, actually, in the Picasso one, there was a chapter only about Les les Demoiselles d'Avignon, which is like his big, first big masterpiece in 1907. And it's the one like with all the ladies in a group and they all have African masks. It's all Cubist. And so it was was considered, according to the biographer, his first big masterpiece. And it was a piece that he was uh, recognized for having done like a large piece at a large scale, you know, similar to Matisse had done, no, uh, Thoreau, Thoreau, like the one with the, the lion and stuff had done a large piece like that. So these artists, they always kind of try to do, you know, hundred years ago, try to do one large piece uh, to enter into some salon, you know, like Guernica 30 years later was, I believe, uh, premiered at a salon and, uh, and it was very large scale and it's political and things like that. So it left an impression. So so anyway, so in that vein, even though like I had no audience uh, waiting for this piece <laughs> by me, in that vein, I thought, I'm gonna make a painting a slightly larger than de d'Avignon. And so I checked the specs and within my apartment, I, uh, with the help of my dad, we built a stretcher that was like an inch in each direction <laughs> larger. <laughs> and it was like, you know, floor to ceiling. And yeah, and then, and then also my theory at the time was because the thing is, I, after college, I mean, I lived on my own several times during high school and college. And then after a university, uh, which was in Montreal, I moved back with my dad. And that's when I really started my career. And that that's another thing I was, I'm thankful for, you know, to have that family support you know, at those like, you know, struggling years, you know? So anyway, I was living with him and I thought to myself, I'm not gonna outgrow this room that I moved back into unless I make art that's bigger than it. So I made a painting that was larger than the doors. And in fact, I had this strategy where like I pulled all my artworks that are out in cafes and other like venues, like restaurant, you know, walls and things like that. So I would I pulled them all and I just piled them in my room <laughs> against one wall. And so I, I thought, like, I'm just gonna hoard everything until literally physically i cannot like but move transcend this room you know so i did so i built this like a great painting which is lost now but there's a video of the process like 60 minutes it's on youtube it's called masterpiece see how art is made yes yeah, so i videotaped the whole thing which took about a year and i would work in in intervals and it's kind of an interesting process like i just kind of put a camera in like different corners of the room each one is different and i i can relate with you with like editing video editing because that's what i did it was all editing (laughs) you know very cut and paste editing but i would like tape this web camera with a long cord you know to like you know the ceiling in the corner and i would point it and then i'd go in front of it paint for like however many minutes, go to the computer, stop. And then like, and then I cut like the, the ends. But so anyway, so, so I did transcend, it worked. It was like an interesting uh, mental exercise and it worked. And then I moved into a new apartment, which was like in the suburbs.
0: It's a great story. I love how willing you are to try new things. And it's something I definitely got a sense of in the book. And you get to see printed on the book, some of the different examples and the wide variety of stuff that you've experimented with and created. On a therapeutic level, what does your work do for you?
1: Well, that's interesting. Yeah, because, you know, people always say like, artist therapy. Well, one, I'd like to make it clear that I don't think I'm that messed up. <laughs> 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 that I need it. I don't think I need it. I actually did have like a really big breakdown. I, I forget if I actually wrote about it in the book. Cause it's like, it's a touchy thing. Cause if I wrote like the actual details of that like in certain ways, it would sound extremely eccentric and, and crazy. Cause I felt like I I, I lost my mind. I, I was working, well, I didn't write about it but there was like a couple of other details that I think I left out, but- um...
0: Well, yeah, to to kind of help, I remember in one of the chapters, you wrote something that aligns with another book that I've read on entrepreneurship, and that is that the, the road of an artist is very lonely because we get lost in our own work. It's kind of something along the lines of what you said.
1: Yeah, That's right. What happened was like this is right before I became an artist and I was working several jobs and I came back from university and I tried to get animation work, but I was so cocky from university, you know, because like all my college friends, you know, they did animation and they got work, you know, the best ones including myself luckily and then and then I also went off for a couple more years to university so I would come back and like work on holidays and things and then when I came back for good you know I was like strutted in there and I was like rude you know like I thought I was like hot shit <laughs> and you, you know how it is like when you work for somebody and everybody at the job complains about like the boss and like how the like the job sucks and that's just protocol you know everybody's like this job sucks you know it's like like the worst. And then, you know, they vent and then they go back to work and they do the same damn thing. So then I walked in and then so like in an anim- animation studio, they're working on this show named, uh, called Hose Hounds, and everybody is saying like, oh, you know, this is so stupid. The scripts are terrible, you know? So I'm like, yeah, you know, I-, <laughs> I was like getting a degree in writing. So yeah, the scripts are terrible. And then like right over my shoulder was the director and the writer. Right. So so that didn't go over well and they, they <laughs> refused to hire me. So so because of that, I ended up having to take on all these other jobs that I kind of beneath me at the time. I worked at a Staples Business Depot. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, stocking shelves in the office department. I worked at a cafe. It was called Second Cup in, in Canada. It's like kind of like Starbucks. It's a chain Minimum wage. I remember being there a couple of months trying to negotiate like 25 cents extra. They go, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> right. minimum wage, like the lowest you could low. Right. Then I worked at newsstand. I got fired from that. But that was like later and I was like breaking point at that point. And then I would get home and draw all night, you know, working on this graphic novel that I thought mm-hmm. was going to launch my career. So, which it did. But anyway, everything accumulated. And then ultimately, my friends vouched for me. They said like, you know, they would come into Staples and feel sorry for me. And they knew I was talented because I was extremely talented. I still am. And I deserved to get a job, but I was, you know, I didn't need to be punished. So they said like, oh, he's punished enough. Give him a job. So I got a call to come in. But by that point, I was gone. You know, like I was working so hard, so many jobs. and, And I was kind of lost in my art. And lost in also the the metaphors of everything I was drawing. And I wasn't communicating with anyone. It was like, I mean, I actually developed a, a cyst underneath my tongue at the time because I had apparently was biting my tongue. Oh my God. Uh, to, to 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 you know, like prevent myself from speaking. Like even so even at second cup, I would just I would hardly say anything, not even a word. And same with staples. And I was like becoming very slowly like a nervous wreck. I was shaking. People would come to ask for help with finding pens at Staples in the aisles. And, and I would lead them to a pen and I would hand them a pen. And if they didn't like the pen, they'd be like, I don't know if this is the right pen. I would like almost cry. You know, it's like on the brink of madness. Wow. And, uh, and then I actually became mad. <laughs> and I started to watch myself from the, uh, the other side. And I, I was trying to pull myself in back in because i thought like oh man i've blown a fuse you know so yeah so i don't know we're like i forget what the original question was but uh uh what was the original the original question
0: was how is your art proved as a as a oh yeah it it almost sounds right like like it's anti-therapy until you really figure out how well the
1: the thing was that it was therapy once i i decided to do it full-time right because That was the therapy, the answer for me. It was madness for me to do everything else, but what I was destined to do. It was like in my heart, you know, like there was nothing else I could possibly do. I was gonna go mad. So then I had this breakdown I, you know, woke up one morning crying and I couldn't stop. I got the job uh, in animation, but I went in, dropped off my scenes. I quit, I quit every other job. And then I tried one more experiment, which I also outlined in the book where like, uh, I did this other job that I thought I could moonlight, do a day job that I hate, and then do something, do my art at night and see if that works. But then I eventually broke with that too. And I, with my last paycheck, I decided to do art full-time.
0: In some of these different, you know, jobs I've, I've had too, where I was, I was working service and I would talk to a coworker and they'd tell me that they're quitting to pursue their art full-time. I was always very moved. So That leap is always very terrifying, and I'm so thankful that you did that leap because without that leap, you wouldn't be able to do such incredible things like write this book. Here's a quote from your book, by the way, that uh, I really liked about branding and marketing. I think branding and marketing sounds like a big business concept that not a lot of people grasp, and you kind of uh, address that directly. Here's what you said in the chapter in chapter four. You said nowadays, all the popular artists have distinct styles and subject technique and even immersive experience. It's a great age for artists to be as expressive as possible. It's it's good for the market because whatever somebody likes, they are likely to find an artist who creates art in the exact aesthetic people seek that artist because their specialty is advertised through their brand to develop your own brand is the same as finding your true self not easy it will likely take a lifetime but for the time being you have to find your strengths and sell them now something that's a very practical bit of advice you also pinpointed that i mean like you hinted at it but but previously in that paragraph it mentions uh, that a brand can be a person right and that's something I think that's very underestimated that that you explained pretty well in this chapter.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, brand is a, a person. I mean, obviously like the Kim Kardashians and all those uh, celebrities and the influencers where they just have to be visually arresting and that'll be enough to sell products. But for artists, obviously your work has to be exceptional. There has to be a need in the market for it, but Realistically, you also have to be likable, which you know I don't, I don't know if I'm likable, <laughs> but I'm likable enough to get work. So uh, yeah, so I'm likable. No, I'd say to you're likable. <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. I was less likable at the beginning. Uh, I think. I don't know. But yeah, I think you, you have to be honest. It's it's really a challenge. I mean, I emphasize and believe that like you just have to be complete and authentic human being, like very, very honest. You know, like if you're trying to sell something to someone, I mean, obviously they need a they're coming to you because they need a service because you have skills that they don't. You're competing against other people and you have to offer to the client, like you have to convince them what's better about you uh, than the other person. And sometimes later in your career, you have to charge more. So then you have to convince them why paying more is worthwhile.
0: Right. And, and by the way, you've directly addressed that in your book, talking about the specific examples of how to kind of stand your ground in those situations. Um, that's kind of one of my favorite things about the book is the practical element of it, where you're talking about the language to use that is still respectful and professional, while still being firm and to the point of your ground. That's something that a lot of artists, including myself will struggle with from time to time, just trying to understand how to brave your ground without being disrespectful and how to be, how to become eventually respected. Like respected is like kind of the big thing. If it was power, money or respect that you could choose, I would say respect is what you want, right? Um, And that's really what the book is about is acquiring that respect.
1: I would agree that that's certainly part of the book. I spent a lot of time analyzing the client's perspective, you know, like everything from like tone, you know, their fears sometimes, you know, cause like some, cause I've been online on a lot of projects, a lot of commercial illustration projects, like from graphic novels to graphic designs, animation, you name it. Like if it's one little area is like, you know, there's not a lot of jobs in it, then I'll start looking in another one. But I have a preferred one, you know, like right now it's like, illustrating graphic novels I have that system very streamlined so it's like I enjoy it and it's it's pretty uh, easy so yeah so I spend a lot of time like when somebody posts a, a project online and like whether it's like the brevity of their description for the for w- their requirement or like there's a tone you know sometimes like they list a certain budget and they know you can sense in their tone that they know it's like too low and unfair but like they need the work you know, done. And then, but they kind of, they, they overcompensate in other areas and in their description, you know? So it's like, I assess that every time because it costs me to bid on a project. So it's like, do I want to spend the bid? And I have to analyze, imagine, use my imagination to kind of foresee whether this client can compromise uh, whether they can negotiate (laughs) uh, so that like, you know, if I can reason with them, uh, sure. because it's like it's not like that I'm just trying to make more money you know uh yes I am because like I I do have like especially the the longer I go in my career the more value I have like the more expertise you know like I'm just better you know like it's like an artist's career just gets better like it's like a, a vineyard you know it, it it like yeah when it's young it's only so good but then it has its peak and it's like like it's a life cycle, you know, because a vineyard is what like 80 years or I think something like that. Like it lasts. So it's like the lifespan of a person. And it's sure like even the, the later Picasso's kind of like declined. But you know, those musketeer paintings were not bad, you know, in this last show, you know, so um so yeah, so I spent a lot of time uh analyzing and, and sometimes negotiating uh with, with clients and convincing them of of my value. And it's, you know, I never convince anybody that doesn't actually need the work. I I usually hardly ever try to find clients that are just not not seeking anything. Usually I see posts, you know, for projects and I feel that need.
0: It is a lot harder to sell based on you know, what you think would work versus a need, right?
1: Yeah. And that's actually
0: something I'm learning right now. I I'm personally have been exploring the world of sales and learning about uh, pain indicators and figuring out mm. uh, how, to, how to capitalize on the pain indicators because pain is always a greater reason for someone to buy over pleasure, you know? Pleasure yeah, yeah. really comes down to an impulse buy, but pain comes down to, I need this, right? So accommodating needs is very important, but- Taking those needs is part of the process to a much bigger thing that your book kind of underlies. And that is leveraging your creativity to eventually creating a business. So here's another thing that you, another quote from your book here, creating your own company is a great way to serve your own interest rather than client's interest in building a brand that has monetary value. If you have a good exit strategy for your business, then an LLC or corporation is a valuable time investment and yeah it's a it really does cover like like different insightful things like that are are incredibly insightful i think what this book does is it provides a certain sense of mentorship for those who are reading that wouldn't really be able to acquire that mentorship in any other place do you mentor anyone
1: yeah right now i have i think just one uh that i mentor weekly he's trying to create a web comic so it's it's nothing that i've like pushed so so much for it was actually a again a listed job he was looking for a motivator (laughs) that could help him do this comic because he's got a day day job and you know so then so I've been working with him and like I told him you know each day aim for half an hour because he was like setting these tasks like he's like I'm gonna get like you know 20 pages done this week it's like no you're not you know like you're gonna you know, finish work, have dinner, want to relax, you know, dick around on your phone, you know, like, <laughs> uh, right. Like, so, uh, so they were kind of impossible. So you needed like, just like, Hey, you know, I'm just going to force myself to sit down for 30 minutes and stuff. And he's been very, very productive. And then in the process, I'm kind of lucky that way because I've kind of trained myself in so many uh, skills and especially when it comes to graphic novel and comic book production. I know all the aspects, and that was my original uh, dream too. Was like that's why I took animation, so I could be a good artist, and then that's why I took creative writing, so that I could also write well enough to make, you know, uh, graphic novels uh, read well at least, you know. Um, but yeah, so I can help them in all the, all those. So we talk about script and uh, and all those. Yeah, I, it is it is like mentoring, I suppose, like the, the book.
0: Well, it's good. It's good that you do that, you know, and and it seems like you have a passion for wanting to teach people because you want them to maybe have an easier time than you did when you first got started to not be driven to that same insanity that you had.
1: Yeah, but but you have to be crazy to be great. You know, that
0: is true. That is true.
1: You know, like I just there was things that were motivating me early on. I remember when I was like dead broke and I mean, I bled my credit cards, you know, and and I was just like at ground zero. I I remember being in my building and, you know, I was in a low income building because we were immigrants and my dad had this housing that he had for many years, which was uh, rent geared to income. And a lot of, actually the majority of people in that building were that way, rent geared to income or below market rent, but it was mostly rent geared to income. And there was like a lot of like, it was mixed, but mostly white trash, and uh, some natives and, and some African Americans. But um, Ottawa didn't have as many minorities in general. But I remember once, like, just having to—I uh, was so broke. Um, I was entering the building, and and uh, and I had like I saw a dime, and I picked it up, and somebody saw me like that I would see before when I was doing well, you know because I remember when I was like really kind of flamboyantly artistic, <laughs> you know, like in, in college and especially university, you know, like I was like kind of dressed to the T and like, you know, I had like this leather hat, you know, and, and you know, I looked like like a big shot, you know, walking in and out of the building, you know, like I, and I acted like one to have everything like kind of stripped away because I was going through a ground zero, you know, uh, kind of a entropy if you will, like a, an event horizon of life was interesting and and uh, humbling. Yeah, you do have to be nuts, you know, like, cause it, it drives you, you have to be motivated. Like sometimes it's like hatred, like you gotta prove to somebody that like hurt you, like that you could be better. I remember watching this documentary actually recently, it's called The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. And it was about like their last championship. It's on Netflix. Uh, I guess I'm endorsing it, but, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, what was, there was an element in it where like, he had, he had made up this whole story about this young rookie, like that nobody knows about now, but he made the story that like Michael Jordan had a bad game in this uh, series with, with this rookie and the rookie did well. And uh, Jordan told everybody like, can you believe like this guy, when we, when I walked off the court, he said like, nice game, Mike, you know, like all taunting. And he's like, I'm going to get him back. And then so in this documentary, he said, like, that never happened. I just built, I just made that up so I could motivate myself to play better. Wow. You know? Yeah. yeah. He's like, I just made that up. You know, <laughs> like I, 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 I made myself believe it. And I told everybody like it was a fact. Then when I do overperform, they go, this guy is serious. Like this, don't mess with this guy, you know? because he'll show you up. So I was actually like that. I mean, <laughs> I, remember, I remember going to an art fair in Ottawa. It was an outdoor fair. And this artist that worked in animation and he painted like very interesting paintings, mostly of houses, very uh, straight edged, stylistic. And he was selling really well. And I was so envious that I walked up to him and I knew him because I knew him from a few years, but he was just kind of a casual uh, coworker. And, and I walked up to him and I said, like, I hear you're selling well, but don't you forget that I'm a greater, a greater artist than you will ever be, regardless of your sales. And you will never be remembered.
0: <laughs> that's what
1: he said to you? No, that's what I said to him. Oh,
0: damn.
1: <laughs> yeah. I said, like, I don't care like, if you're selling well but I am so much better than you and you will be forgotten while I will be the greatest artist. You'll ever know.
0: <laughs> right. Well, he's not on this podcast. So that just, no. he's not on know. this
1: podcast, but like, I, I just did crazy things like that. You know, I yeah. would like sh- uh, shake hands with people and, uh, and say, uh, you know, instead of saying my name, i say I'm the greatest artist in the world.
0: So. so you weren't afraid to disrupt and you weren't afraid to make the claim.
1: No, but I mean, it's, it's useless. That's why I, I think I mentioned that in the book, like, in, in terms of marketing that doesn't help you like let's say that's seo you know that's search engine optimization so if somebody search searches greatest artists in the world okay they find you but like who's going to search for that no nobody's going to search for that if you're trying to get sales they're going to search for uh you know a portrait artist new york you know or like portrait artists uh, what is it uh, lanark where were you ozark What
0: oxnard lanark? I'm in oxnard
1: oxnard You know, so they're going to search for these keywords that are particular to their location and they're more specific. Um, So they're not going to like it's just a child that would search like who is the greatest artist in the world, you know. Right. You know, like and then they see it and they go, oh, who's this guy? I thought it would would be Picasso.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're not competing for search engine optimization against Picasso. Um, but, no, 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 no. I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, have you seen the, the show Hi, I'm Dave? About uh, the rapper Lil Dicky? Uh, I've seen his videos, but I haven't seen this show. The show is about him before he got big. And, before? Yeah, before he got big. And he does something in the show where every time he introduces himself to another, to another rapper or another artist... He'll go up and say, "Hi, I'm the greatest rapper you've ever met before." My name is Dave, and and he just—it's about that kind of confidence to be able to say that, followed by his strange, timid, like very like genuine self, like following yeah. that. And I get that impression from you as well. Maybe not with the rap, but <laughs> yeah, because you're not a yeah. rapper. But... Well, I mean,
1: sounds like me. Everybody has that, and and I felt like that everything that. That I was going through was meant to be like I felt like I needed to struggle early on so that I would set the foundation to appreciate anything that I would earn. I felt like I needed to earn everything from the ground up. So, yeah, so I don't know. I'm in love with the struggle. And sometimes I create struggle just so I have something to strive for.
0: What do you attribute to your success?
1: Will, imagination. I'm just, like, trying to live, you know, like, and get the most out of life. So, yeah, there's, like, the creative thing, but it's just a living. And, uh, you know, this is what I do professionally, but I also do it as a passion because I do commercial work, but I I sustain my creative output with my commercial work. So everything's, like, it's art, art. And then, you know, like, I enjoy, like, friendships and and, uh, relationships and, you know, like, I, I strive for like security like anybody else and and things like that so it's like i'm just trying to like look at life and i'm hi- kind of i feel like i'm hyper aware of kind of the cycle of life maybe as an artist maybe as an introvert so i just i'm just trying to be aware of like everything that that comprises having like a life and trying to fulfill everything kind of trying to check everything off before i go you know
0: I think that's a really great motivation for someone who is just getting started as a freelance artist. What is the number one advice that you could give them?
1: Take it very seriously. You you can't take it more seriously than, than you need to like, like it, you can't imagine how seriously you have to take it. You like you, you that's why you have to do things cold Turkey. I mean, I kind of, in one one way I want to believe like you shouldn't have to, And I've seen some people that transition well, you know, by doing some side job and then and then they choose an art form that's like very popular. Like, I mean, just the other day, I I saw somebody online that was doing colored pencil or maybe acrylic paintings of like NFL superstars, you know, and she said she was selling them for like eighteen hundred a pop, you know, signed. She she somehow like, I guess, either mailed it to the guy or waited outside a game got her artwork signed and then just like posted it somewhere and people are like dying to have this stuff, you know? Wow. So, I mean, like, that's really lucrative. And I thought to myself like, geez, like maybe I should, uh, like, what have I been doing, you know? Yeah. But it's just like, I don't like football, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, there was something like, well, anyway, this is kind of off track, but like, um, well, she wasn't that great. She wasn't a great artist. And that's obviously why she was doing that. Cause I was doing stuff like that when I was a kid, you know, that's all I did. That's exactly how I got good. was like copying out of magazines and, uh, and like drawing everything, like all my favorite hockey players, I would just copy, copy, copy. So maybe i I kind of like, I'm way beyond that. So, but it's, the money is nice.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Christian, you also have some work that you have in various museums where, wh- which museums are those exactly?
1: Well, I have two in museums. One is like the national gallery of Canada, which is in Ottawa. And I have a book that I made early in my career. Cause the, the first business, maybe we could go back to business after this, like uh, to help people with the IP thing. Cause we started that and I, we didn't really finish that like creating your own IP, but um My first business was it was a sole proprietorship it was a small press like a publishing company Mm -hmm. and uh, i was doing like booklets basically and and art books and so i i one of my first big projects which has a fantastic story in the book is uh, this book called uh, true fiction and it had original art on the covers and there were like a hundred original books made. So I made the covers. So you, could, you know, they were made out of canvas, like raw canvas, and and you, they were painted. So anyway, the very last copy of it, I saved it, and I called the National Gallery of Canada, which was in my hometown of Ottawa. But it's like the National Gallery has like a phenomenal collection, and uh, maybe probably the best in the country. And uh, anyway, so uh, they took it. so I said like I gave him like a sales call you know and I said like uh, I'm looking at my last copy I told him the story like uh, this is a -a one-of-a-kind book I made early in my career it's the last of its kind Uh, all the others are sold and I would love for you to have it as kind of a historical uh, 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 document and so they took it and then uh, I did a similar call with the Billy Ireland Cartoon Museum at Ohio State University which has the largest collection of cartoon original art probably in the world and uh, I gave them a similar call and what I submitted to them was my first graphic novel ever which was published in high school while I was still in high school so I just kind of had the original art and and I was moving at the time because from Canada I moved to pretty much Las Vegas I lived there for three years and then I was I decided to move back to the east coast to New York and in that move I thought like you know what like I just want to preserve this art you know like you know it it seemed like each move I was taking less and less with me you know and uh I did not want to like lose it and stuff and I thought preserve it so it was uh you know they were donated so I didn't get paid for it so I like, you can put that on the record.
0: <laughs> Definitely. You said you wanted to talk a little bit about IPs. I wanted to give you that opportunity. To- oh yeah.
1: When I had my art school in Canada, cause I, that was my second business. I had a corporation. I registered a corporation and it was doing business as masterpiece art school. Now, before that, I just kind of want to say something maybe inspiring for artists. So basically I was just jobbing and I, every couple of years I do a business plan for like, you know, I I do a reassessment of where my work life is and personal life. And actually recently I did a a big one for my personal life. So what I want, like uh, my personal life. So, but yeah, so it was like, at the time it, it was like 2011, I believe I had just had like a big show at the end of 2010. And it was very depressing to me because I spent several thousand dollars to make that show and it was my first solo show in well I guess it was like about a year and a half or so but I had been working on that series for two years almost and uh and I sold like two pieces at the opening (laughs) and it cost me like close to ten thousand dollars in that two-year span which was a lot of money for like a a jobbing artist I was only like I wasn't making that much not making I was making between 25 and 30,000 a year in Canada at the time. And that's actually good money in Canada because the standard of living is much higher. So I didn't really like, I wasn't really ambitious for much. Like I, so I didn't really need much, but it was still depressing because I was, I invested so much time and money. And anyway, so I did a business plan and, and, uh, and I realized that like most of my income was coming from freelancing and teaching classes and I was teaching classes at several schools, small private schools through the city and a community center for many years since the beginning of my career. And so I decided to, to only focus on that. And I felt like the fine art was a money pit, you know, it was just costing me money to put on these shows and I get a lot of, it's like an ego, you know, thing. So it's like, I was getting lots of compliments, and I was doing also large paintings that at if they didn't sell, then I'm just like they're going back in storage. So anyway, uh that, that was the beginning of my my second business. And it actually I had a good contract for it was a, an advertisement and it was a couple thousand dollars. And I what I did was it was like at kind of the beginning of the summer, and I paid like my rent like three months in advance and then I just kind of cruised in in the summer I just like I was turning down jobs you know and not really uh trying and and I was researching all summer uh like businesses and like registering a business and a corporation and structuring and I was watching like Dragon's Den and Shark Tank and all those kind of shows you know so um so that's all I did that summer and by late August I registered the corporation and I structured it in a way so that it saved me from liability. So that's why like the corporation owned the art school because the art school was essentially a sole proprietorship owned by the corporation. If I did something wrong while teaching or something like that, I would be untouchable. You can, uh, you can sue me, it would be the school uh, and, then, and then the corporation ultimately. Uh, anyway, so it was kind of structured that way, and my whole idea was because I was watching all those shows, and actually, I had, I remember I had read a book at the time too. It was a book about having an art business. It was like this woman wrote this uh, step help self-help book, step by step, about having an art school. And so I modeled, I just like literally like modeled everything that way, and my goal was to. Built a viable business and to sell it, and I almost did. <laughs> right, uh, I moved. I kind of I fell in love like a couple of years in, and I moved uh, to to the U.S. Uh, and I tried. I right as I was closing the the business, I did list it with a couple of brokers, and I had somebody I had a couple of people in, interested. One person actually sat in on a class, was interested in buying it, but it was like literally like days before I was moving, you know? So it's like, it, I, I couldn't pull off the sale, unfortunately. But anyway, the point is that, well, I still have it. <laughs> I still have the school <laughs> and uh, it's online. It's masterpieceartschool.com and I have courses. But the point is that you want to build a business. And one of the examples that I give in the book is like Lucas, George Lucas. Uh, he had Lucasfilm and he built like a whole world of intellectual property and toys and merchandise and all these things that are associated with Lucas World, uh, Lucasfilm uh, and ultimately sold it to Disney. So that is something that I would ultimately uh, want to uh, recreate with my own business. Um, and that's something that I advise artists to do. And one of the things that I say is for every job that you do for a client, you should spend the same amount of time working on your own intellectual property.
0: That's a great place to add an exclamation mark to your whole entire story. Like that's kind of like the big goal. And you talked about that, to be able to create that residual income in your book. Should someone have interest and want to talk to you directly about more on, on, on what they can do to improve their business as an artist, as a freelancer, what is the best way to reach out? The
1: best way to reach out is email. It's like csa at gmail.com or actually the easiest one is my last name Alawash at hotmail.com. You know, so one of those. Like, if you Google me, you'll find me like on Facebook or like Instagram. Uh, I have my I have my own website. I have masterpieceartschool.com. I have csa1.ca. I'm like pretty everywhere, pretty pretty much everywhere. You'll find me.
0: Perfect. All that information will be displayed in the description below. And finally. Christian, the question I ask everybody on this podcast, what will you be famous for?
1: I, Christian S. Alouash, will be famous for being an artist, maybe the greatest artist that ever lived.
0: Christian S. Alouache, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. If you've listened this far, it must mean you're a thriver. I want to thank you so much for listening. We want to stay connected with you. So please, in order to do that, we need you to follow every single one of our social media platforms. Can you do that? Follow us at Mister Media, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all the same. Also, we want to keep you completely informed as to all the services that we provide. You can do that by going onto our website, www.mrthrive.com. That is mrthrive.com. Have a great day, and thanks for listening.